This is the Empowered Spirituality Podcast, the podcast about inclusive spirituality. Empowered Spirituality is all about connecting and aligning to your own higher self. All religions, spiritual practices and beliefs, sexual orientations, gender identities and expressions are welcomed and celebrated here. I am your host, Samantha Nagel, owner of and coach at Empowered Spirituality, LLC. Every Wednesday, I will share a guided meditation practice, and every Thursday, I will share inspirational teachings or interviews with people with different spiritual practices, beliefs, and opinions. Come every week with an open mind, taking what you like and leaving the rest. Welcome to Empowered Spirituality. As I began the journey of shifting my career to a job that aligned with my values and beliefs, having an education in health coaching has been transformational. Through the Institute of Integrative Nutrition, you can become a certified health coach to empower your relationship with food, health, and wellness, live your dreams, earn while you learn, and embark on a new path. Join the global community of like-minded change agents who are here to empower, inspire, and motivate you to create the life you've always dreamed of by clicking the link in the show notes. And by doing so, you'll receive $2,000 off tuition when you pay in full or $1,500 off tuition if you choose the payment plan option. Or you can mention my name, Samantha Nagel, spelled N-A-G-E-L. Discover how to take a holistic and nourishing approach to health and wellness today. Hello and welcome to Empowered Spirituality. My name is Samantha Nagel, and today I had the honor of sitting down and speaking with the hosts of the Millennial Therapist Podcast with Mao and Nao. This is a true crime and forensic psychology podcast. They identify with the pronouns she, hers, and her. They are two first-generation American millennial therapists who are equally true crime, forensic psychology, and paranormal obsessed. They discuss mental health, mental wellness, history, and everything in between, dabbling in various topics from cultural humility to military mental health, ghosts, and interesting ways their parents use the paranormal to discipline them. Um... Today, I cannot speak, so I am, I've recorded this intro a couple times and stuttered my way through. I stutter a lot during the interview. That's okay, just one of those days. Um, in this episode, we talked a lot about cultural humility. We talked a lot about their experiences as first-generation Americans and what it's like to be a woman in color in their profession of both um, social work and the military. We talk a little bit about the culture of the military and the stigma around mental health in the military. And then we also talk about their passion for true crime and how that makes its way into their podcast. Um, We also talk a little bit about mental health and wellness, and we touch on the paranormal and spirituality in that sense and how that can also help us be um, culturally humble. 
Um, they did a great job of explaining the difference between cultural competency and cultural humility and what a grounding experience it is to be culturally humble versus um, kind of a uh, know-it-all, I guess it's the best way I can describe it, approach of being culturally competent. Um, they are two very inspirational and informative women. I am so honored that I got the chance to just look at them and talk to them and be with them and learn from them. And I really think you will enjoy this episode. Um, if you can hear me, I am smiling from ear to ear because I just got done recording with them and I can't stop smiling. They're magnetic. They're infectious um, in a good way, <laughs> not in a COVID way. Um, and I think you'll really enjoy this episode. So without further ado, here's Mao and Neo, the hosts of the Millennial Therapist Podcast. All right, I am joined by Mao and Neo from the Millennial Therapist Podcast. Hi, both of you lovely ladies. How are you doing? Great, thank you. Doing good. Thank you for having us. Yay, I'm so excited. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, I'd love for both of you to introduce yourself and tell us more about what you both do. Yeah, of course. So um, we are Mao and Nao. This is Mao speaking. So we have our podcast, uh, the Millennial Therapist Podcast with Mao and Nao. And we are both uh, licensed independent social workers, but our podcast is a true crime forensic psychology podcast where we kind of meshed our passion for everything, not typically mental health and uh, mental health together. So we do dabble in um, your traditional mental health self-help talk, but we also love talking about ghosts and paranormal and aliens and kind of kind of the far end spectrum of things that you don't expect um, social workers and therapists to talk about because Neo and I have noticed that we have so many different identities we hold so many complexities in our personalities and we definitely know we're not the only ones like that so we really wanted a platform to to have that safe space for everybody Yep, and this is Neo, and I 100% agree with everything that Mao said. <laughs> um, we, we talk about in our intro where we go from like military culture to the paranormal to true crime to talking about mental health and just uh, even what we see as far as uh, what's going on in day to day as far as like social media, what our therapists are publishing, the new, I guess, of frameworks that we kind of discuss and pretty much just also cultural humility too as social workers that's very important and um, I don't think there's ever been one topic that we kind of have not been curious about <laughs> and if so we always end up with more questions like why how when who and yes. uh, we even think I think in one of our episodes somebody mentioned like a forensic psychologist that we couldn't even find online <laughs> yeah this was for the Selena and Yolanda Salivar uh, episode mm -hmm. and we're like we can't find this guy online so we're not really sure and we, we completely had another sad conversation about that <laughs> so yeah I think our our maybe I'm just saying this because we were both hosts of the podcast but yeah I, I would say it's a unique space for for people like us and yeah we get a little weird sometimes <laughs> oh I love it thank you so much it sounds like you're really embodying all of your interests and creating space for who you are as whole people, which I really love to see. 
Um, and you mentioned that you hold different identities and complexities and that we all do. And I would love to hear more about what that means to you because that, that really resonated with me when you said that. Yeah, for sure. So one of the things, one of the many things Nao and I really connected on was being children of immigrants and first-generation Americans, women of color, and also in the military. So I, I served almost seven years in the Air Force, and Nao actively serves now. So we actually met on a military base and, um, and also being social workers in a predominantly white um, environment, right? So there's a lot of just kind of learning how to navigate those spaces. So you can imagine like <laughs> there's just so many pieces where they can be conflicting but also really complementary so we uh, i think one of the biggest topics that we bounced off of each other and tried to and really tried to process with one another was how do we work through things that we were taught in grad school um that feel really conflicting to how we were brought up right so like with therapy and um like kind of the westernized and colonized part of social work it tells you to be a certain way but when we're in the field doing that work with people of different cultures and that's where Neo mentioned cultural humility it doesn't feel right when you're trying to to work with what's being taught and then feeling in your heart and your spirit that like that's not what the person in front of me needs right now so it's kind of those like um figuring out how to navigate through those identities and, and, and staying true to, to ourselves, I think is a big piece, right? It's like, cause it feels so isolating at a lot of times. So when Neo and I shared, we we're like, oh, me too, me too, you too. How do you deal with it? <laughs> Tell me more. No, definitely. I feel that was a very huge connecting point. And I think at that point in my life, um, I was lucky that there was a lot of women of color, uh, um, not a lot, but that there was several women of color that uh, I was able to connect to and we were kind of able to share these experiences and not feel alone about it. So, um, so yeah, being first gen American uh, is, <laughs> is a complete whole other experience. And then you add on like your, your parents' culture and then you being raised here in the United States. And then not only that, but by region in the United States, it just, it's completely different for everybody, right? So then, um, so I remember the first time we had like a big conversation, me and Mal, we went from like true crime to like <laughs> childhood and then we brought it back together. We talked about our families and, and ever since it's been, you know, an ongoing conversation because we understand that our complexities also bring something to the table when we're doing one-on-one -on -one therapy, when we're doing our program management, when we're voting. Um, it's not just a mutual exclusive relationship with all the identities that we hold, um, but they're definitely an influence and an impact in how we practice. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I love what you just said, that they're not mutually exclusive. Thank you so much. And it sounds like you're really, you're taking in the information that you learned in graduate school, like you said, and, and seeing how it resonates with you, seeing what fits with you and then also what your clients need. So I think that's really honorable. And I would really, I know a lot of people who listen to this podcast are therapists or aspiring therapists or coaches. Um, what would you tell someone who 
um, either doesn't feel aligned with what they were taught or wants to be more culturally inclusive and um, I'm trying to think of the other word for humility. Humble? Humble, yeah. Culturally humble. Yeah, I'd love to know what you think. Yeah, I think I think what I've noticed too in working with colleagues that are, you know, that identify as white, um, they're like, well, how can I ever relate with someone that's not my ethnic background? It's like, you're still a human, you know, as, as like basic as that sounds. So like empathy, and I think this is the biggest one and people, I mean, may, it's not explicitly taught, but they're pretty much telling you in grad school, like you're the expert, you know, all these evidence-based stuff. And I will, Nao and I will tell you, no, you're not. You may have some knowledge that is um, deeper than what the lay person will have, right? But you will never be the expert of someone's life. And that's okay. That actually gives the, the client, um, the person in front of you, the power to take their life back. Um, it gives them hope and it really takes away that that uh, power struggle that it will be there because they're they're already in a vulnerable spot um so I think just and then it helps you unburden that that responsibility of like how am I going to help heal fix save this person it's not your job I tell people all the time I'm not a fixer I'm not a help I'm I am a helper I'm not a healer because that's something that's within the person already. So, um, and that's made me sleep so much better at night <laughs> is, is recognizing that I'm not the expert in anyone's life and they are, and you're, you're there to sit with them. No, I hundred percent agree. And uh, I think, as, like you said, Mal, like at, at most, like we're building a relationship, right? The therapeutic relationship. So there's the human aspect but going on like on a self-exploration journey to learn what your biases are. Like you really need to take a step back and like, like for example, I'm a woman of color that doesn't make me immune of doing things or thinking in a way that's prejudiced or sometimes even annoyingly doing racist things or sometimes even people go ahead and it's, it's even implicit bias, like it's out there. And so you need to take a step back and kind of learn. And at this point, like we're in 2021, right? <laughs> There's an ample amount of information out in the world. And um, although it's good to consult with colleagues and with peers, like you also need to do the work on your own. Um, don't task them with the emotional labor of just arguing and debating. Um, you need to go ahead and look up research articles, look up interviews. Um, there's a lot of things you can do out there to learn. And so this is, it's gonna be a lifelong process where we're all discovering like, okay, how, is, how am I contributing to this or how am I not? And um, is this something that I am willing to change? And if so, social work's for you. <laughs> and if not, you know, take a step back and reevaluate like, okay, how can this impact somebody either in session or when I'm voting or when, I'm talking about a topic in a podcast. So um, I think those are kind of like important steps that we need to take uh, for our professional growth and also as people. Yeah, such a good point. Um, it sounds like the work that you do is so empowering for your clients where you're saying, I'm not the fixer and I'm not even gonna try and be. It sounds like it really lets the client find that sense of personal power. Um, and I love what you said about doing the self-exploration to find your own biases and 
to have those um, difficult, quote unquote, difficult conversations, um, but to also do the internal work on your own so that you're not taxing someone else. What a great point. Um, I know that um, <clears throat> in 2020, um, I had to take a look at my own privilege as a white person and a white woman. I think I always thought that because I was a woman, I was harmed by the patriarchy and by our systems. But when I took a step back and realized that I also benefit from it, I think it it's challenging and necessary and work that we still need to keep doing um, without um, feeling defensive and without feeling that white fragility, the fragility that comes around um, doing that exploration. How did you, um, how did, I guess, how did you, how would you recommend someone kind of look at their own biases? Um, I think, I mean, it's, it's kind of different um, for, for people. And I think like, what, what level are you ready for? Um, I think if you have some awareness, like you were saying of like, I know I, there's a privilege. And I think also just no, like, I think, yeah, I think that first part is awareness. I think that that seems so basic, but a lot of people don't have that awareness. Right. And, and they're so defensive. They're so triggered, which I get like, because saying that you have a privilege when you grew up poor and have trauma, that can, that can be so invalidating. Um, but we have to remember that that privilege doesn't mean that you are rich or that you've never had any struggles. It just means that your race and your ethnic background was never a obstacle for you to, to move forward. Right. So I, I think there has to be work in different avenues on, on the education piece just so we can have that conversation. Um, but like what Nao is saying, there there are a lot of, honestly, Instagram, I we I didn't mention it, but Instagram was a big inspiration for me and Nao in, in creating this podcast also because there's so much education and actually like credible education on there. There's a lot of great diversity and um, inclus inclusive consultants and and um awareness so I think just making making your own effort to to be part of that journey and know that it is a journey and it's not this like okay I read so and so books I'm good so just being open and um and aware of of where you are and where and, and how it can affect people I think is really the, the most simplistic way of, of starting that. Yeah, and I kind of want to pull up this Brene Brown quote because I think this is <laughs> something that I reference daily. It goes, to not have the conversations because they make you uncomfortable is the definition of privilege. Your comfort is not at the center of this discussion. And so um, when I, when I hear those words and I read them, when I remember something that maybe I did, you know, like without intent or malicious intent or anything like that, I think like, this is not about me. This is about a much bigger conversation and a much bigger movement than, than myself. So when you're kind of, I guess, kind of exploring this and saying like, hey, why did this make me uncomfortable? Why do I get so confrontational? Why do I get so defensive? Where is that really coming from? Um, is it coming from because you're being called out or is, or is it because somebody's actually holding you accountable? And I think the times that I've had conversations with peers, it has not ended up with like, 
as a woman of color, like wanting revenge, right? Or to get equal with people or nothing like that. It's more so like, um, we're a community. Let's work together and ensure that the space that we live in and the spaces beyond our reach are safe and they're equitable and they're spaces in which we are, we are all included and represented. Because that's ultimately, you know, um, when I picture um, social justice, that's kind of what comes to mind. Easier said than done, because a lot there's a lot of work that needs to be done in between, right? But like the quote says, um, your comfort is not at the center of this discussion. Thank you so much for sharing that quote. When you said Brene Brown, I was like, ooh, yeah. <laughs> Give it to me. <laughs> um, thank you both so much for sharing your experience and, and your knowledge with us. Um, you both mentioned cultural humility, and that sounds like something you do personally and professionally. So I would love to hear more about that as well. Uh, for me, it was really humbling to even acknowledge that me being a woman of color doesn't always mean a safe space for other people of color because we have to recognize that everybody experience within a bigger system differs so much. So both of my parents were um, refugees from Cambodia. They had fled in the early 1980s and that was a community that I grew up with, right? We were all children of refugees and immigrants and it was a very large Cambodian population. And then moving like, like with Nao said, geographically, I met a lot of other kids of, so just speaking with like Nao, you know, it was, it would be, it wouldn't be, uh, I would say appropriate. Like it wouldn't be right for me to, to, expect my experience to be just like Nao and then just be like oh yeah you know like you know how it is for this isn't that when her whole experience is so differently so I think also acknowledging in the different um backgrounds of everybody and just hearing their story and and not also I'm sure you've seen on like Instagram of like having like trauma Olympics or you know uh difficulty Olympics of like oh yeah well my parents did this so um, so it's just connecting on a, on a very like humble and human level. Yes, hundred <laughs> um, percent. I and I really like the because in grad school, I do you guys remember like I don't know if you you learned the same terms, but there was like cultural competency. Mm, yeah. um, it sounds really fancy yeah. right like we are going to become mm -hmm. competent in culture right and then right. you kind of get into the field and you're like oh my gosh people's cultures are not CEUs that I can just get a nice certificate from and be a pro at after just being at a workshop for four hours right so with cultural humility I think that's more of a humbling more of a grounding term and I really like that paradigm where like Miles said like we're not the experts in the room like I'm a Latina there's a bunch of Latino communities However, let's take, for example, the Al Muertos Day of the Dead. I wasn't raised with certain traditions people were, like when they uh, do the, the, the um, face painting and the full dress. But that doesn't mean that that's not part of our community or identity, right? It just means that we were always different. Our experiences are different. And so um, I can't be the spokesperson for the Latino community and say what's right or wrong, right? <laughs> so by having like that, that humility, that grounding basis, um, 
I think that kind of opens up a, a lot of conversation and just more space for people to feel included and um, not just in in our practices, like as a culture, as a community, but overall as, you know, because you might have a Latino that might be like me. Parents are Mexican, but who knows? Maybe their parents, one of them's from Latin America and the other one's actually from the United States. And, you know, just the, you just never know. So you, you need to just start there. Like, I don't know, but uh, I, I want to learn. Yeah, that's a great point. And I, I do want to give um, Nail so much credit because she taught me about cultural humility because I never heard that term. Um, in grad school, it's always cultural competency. And I was like, oh, that's amazing. You know, they're talking about being aware and knowledgeable, but but when she really reframed it as like, okay, but how competent can you be if you're going in there already saying, oh, I know about your culture. Like you do this, this and that where humility, it's like, I I honor who you are, where you're from and what, what has brought you here, but you're, you're still going to, but you're still the expert and I'm here to learn from you, but in a, also in a, a very humbling way, right? You're not going to sit there and be like, well, tell me all the stuff that you went through and this is how we can help, but really just allowing them to be the storytellers and, and part of that narrative. So thank you for that um, invaluable knowledge. Nail is amazing. <laughs> no, thank you. And um, I think we have to, uh, also, we, we previously talked about uh, trauma tourism. Um, this is not for your consumption. When people step into the room and they're vulnerable, they are trusting you and honor that trust. Um, it's not like as much as you can get out of it's what they feel comfortable with. Now, of course, you know, with trauma, the, as therapists, yes, our job is to kind of, you know, how, support someone I'm trying to get away from the help word because <laughs> we're not we're not saviors right uh, but support somebody in exploring this process and processing what what they went through so yeah we address the avoidance but meeting at someone where they're at um so so definitely trauma tourism that that i uh, um I learned this term a couple of years ago and I learned it from somebody who is in the field especially and I forgot their name already so I am so sorry if you hear this <laughs> <laughs> and call me out and correct me, please. <laughs> I have never heard the term trauma tourism, um, but I think that's, you mentioned we're not saviors and that's what that term made me think of is, um, especially with the word cultural competency, the word implies like, I am now like an expert in all cultures and I am all knowing now I am a savior. And so it right. goes back to that like colonialism that you were talking about in social work, which I thought was, I had never um, put that together. So thank you both for um, bringing up this, these really important topics. I think people listening are going to be so, I don't know, maybe, I'll, I don't know what I'm trying to say, but just, it's so good. <laughs> I don't know what to say. It's you. so good. Yeah, and I think that's why we love having these conversations, right? And it's not to bash, you know, um, the country or where things are founded, but I think it's that acknowledgement because, um, again, we're serving in the United States Air Force, um, so we we are connected to to this. Um, but we have to acknowledge that it's not a perfect system. So um, 
we have to acknowledge that it's not a perfect system and that that when it's rooted in things that like colonization that's why things don't feel right for us um, and this is for for all social workers I feel like regardless of ethnic backgrounds like there's a I know a lot of white social workers that are like I can't even tell my clients about where I'm from because they teach you like you don't share anything and I think that was the biggest thing for Nao and I is like you can't you how do you expect to be connected to someone like where that have that human connection when it's just a one-sided conversation and they're so vulnerable like they're literally telling you everything and you're like I can't tell you where I'm from and that's where I really bucked against it I was like no I would tell my my students student clients when I worked in a therapeutic high school like listen I came from the hood like you like I did not grow up with a lot of money I joined the military for school and and um in direction like I was almost failing I told him I was like I barely graduated but now I have my master's it took a lot of years and a lot of people to help me along the way um so so had I not really acknowledged what was important and then meeting people like Nao and other social workers and people in the field to be like no you're you're right <laughs> like it it's okay to feel that way um I think I would have a harder time navigating Thank you for sharing that. And I, I have related to that aspect of not being able to share with clients. Um, my first experience when I was a drug and alcohol counselor was working in a therapeutic community, which sounds maybe similar to therapeutic high school, which sounds really, really cool. Um, but we did share and, and clients were called um, students and we were called demonstrators instead of therapists or counselors. And it was about like, it's not about you. It's not about taking attention away from the client, but it is about saying like, we're just two humans and I'm here to learn from you. And this is my experience. And I feel like that makes you humble in some ways to share your experience. Um, so I accidentally sent you all my notes. <laughs> so you know where I'm going. <laughs> um, but um, I love, Nao, that you said that being culturally humble or having cultural humility is grounding. Um, whereas like cultural competence, competency is like very big and very large, but um, grounding, I just feel like that's a great way to phrase that. So I'm really appreciative that you did phrase it that way. And I know that you both wanted to touch on or talk about um, being first-generation American women of color. Um, and so whatever you would like to share about that, whatever makes you feel empowered, I would love to listen. I think for, for me, that grounding piece is, is having that human connection. It's like Nao say, said earlier, having those, even if it's just one or two or a few, but just finding the other other folks in within that system that can help navigate and and even even if it's not talking about the struggles but just knowing that you're not alone um is really grounding and and also because from my experience anyways in the military it could be so like gaslighting because they're like oh we're the united states and you know we're the department of defense we're culturally competent we're diverse we have standards but let's be real every every system has their explicit impl implicit bias so so it is also so it's always really helpful to have someone to 
to process things where you're not just caught up in your head and, and ruminating. So that really helps me feel grounded. Like for my experience, being a woman of color in the military and then in kind of a higher position because um, I end up when I left I end up being part in charge of a lot of programs so I had to work and navigate through all these spaces with like a lot of white doctors and um, higher ups so I was always getting questioned I had to memorize regulations because I was always proving having to like prove myself and that created a lot of anxiety and um so I had a an officer in charge. She had a, lo- a lot of tr- same struggles, but she was like always bucking the system of like, nope, like I earned my spot and this is who I am. And she was um, of Puerto Rican descent. She, she was born in the States, but her dad had, had uh, served in the army also. And she was somebody that I would have followed into war and into into the darkness because she really knew how to navigate that and that was really grounding of like no we can do this and the harder they push um it's because they're intimidated you know there's a lot of stuff that we're probably kicking up but that's not really our issue to to deal with except so so I think it's that human connection for me that is really grounding And I want to say something similar where, and I, I love your question because it's, uh, I feel like it pulled a lot of things from me. <laughs> it pulled like a lot of meaning, like what, what does that mean being first gen, right? Um, and so for me, it's, it's just being, uh, you know, in touch with my roots, um, always remembering where I come from and remembering that when I'm the only woman of color or the only woman in the room that without me, or without people in similar situations, our perspective is missing. And when that is missing, it could have sometimes detrimental outcomes. Um, and so when I take a, and I'm, and I'm not saying, you know, like you always have to be the one to buck up and take everything on your back. No, not at all. You Boundaries are good. Uh, and in the work that we do, um, our perspective is, is important, it's valuable. And so when I think of first generation, I think about, you know, um, all the hard work that it went into me being able to now have access to, for example, like uh, um, having a full-time job and not doing like labor jobs, uh, which I am very proud of of the background that I have because that allowed me to be in this position, now talking about it in a podcast. (laughs) And so um, being first generation means a lot of things, being in touch with your your home country and at the same time, never knowing what it's like from, from being from there because you were raised here. It's being part of a border city and being as close as you can to that home country, but still knowing all the differences that, that kind of tie you in together and also make you different. Um, it's about bringing about it into, the, into therapy and ensuring, you know, just feeling like that sense of, of connection and, and that sense of like, man, we, we all bring different things to the table. And it's all important to encompass, what's the word, encompass it? Encompass, yeah. Mm-hmm. Encompass, thank you. <laughs> uh, because you, you just never know whether you're first gen or 10 generations, um, there will always be some kind of historical or generational trauma that we're probably touching or pulling from. Uh, take for example, Latinos. Um, a lot of Latinos do not teach their children 
um, Spanish because they would they would suffer corporal punishment in schools or they would be placed in special education. Uh, now that doesn't happen. However, let's take um, people that migrate to the United States and they're like, oh, you don't speak Spanish. Um, and so all of that comes from institutional racism and prejudice. And so addressing all of that um, just means, means a lot of things. And I'm gonna keep thinking about this question even after the podcast. <laughs> this is a big, pretty for big sure. question. And thank you for asking that. Yeah, and another thing that comes up for me too is kind of like Naya mentioned of recognizing and acknowledging your ancestors and and what your family has done for you because I think they're in my trauma class in grad school there's a really nice depiction nice and terrifying at the same time because essentially it's like the ghost of your history is in that room with you so so the way that the image depicted was was a therapist and a client and they and it was to so you could visualize the trauma and the history that each client comes into the room with right so they had like 15 different um, individuals surrounding them um so yes you can look at at like like it's trauma and these difficulties but also i have to ground myself and remind myself that with ancestral difficulties comes ancestral strength my people came from the jungle my people fled from war-torn countries that were done upon the same hands that they worked alongside because it was a civil war and they crossed the ocean and came to America and, and created little Cambodia and here I am very privileged you know despite being um, a child of immigrants and um, this biculture I acknowledge my 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 privilege to be able to go to grad school, be, to be able to serve my country, to that advantage that I had to even pass the test to get into the military. Um, so really that's the humbling part for me is that like the sweat and tears and blood from my ancestors and, and everybody has that despite your ethnic background. I think it just takes that, that piece to really slow down and, and really acknowledge that. Um, so yeah, again, the question is such a beautiful question. And then what Nao shared about remembering, remembering what, um, our history brings is really grounding because it's easy to feel lost and, you know, lose meaning. <laughs> mm, thank both, or thank you to both of you for such a thoughtful and beautiful answer um, or answers. Um, first of all, it's so interesting and um, sad and shows your strength um, that you were questioned so much. Um, just, and I'm sure both of you have experienced this being questioned as women of color in a predominantly white, probably straight man dominated industry. Um, and then two, I forgot which one of you, I'm sorry, but you mentioned roots and, and going back to the roots. Um, and that really made me think of this word of being grounded, being grounded in your ancestors, grounded in your culture, the way that your culture is um, ever growing from where you came from to where your family came from and where it's going. Um, and in that ever-changing way, I, I feel like being grounded is so special and so important. So thank you so much for, for what you said about that. Um, and I also love the imagery of ghosts in the room. That gave me chills. Uh, and I would love to hear 
um, any advice that you have about generational trauma and doing that work around generational trauma, because you're right, it's so important for everyone to do, because everyone has that, um, well, generational trauma and strength. I love that you said that. But yeah, I'll leave that open-ended question for you. I would say don't do it alone. <laughs> um, definitely again, I mean, we're, we're always gonna to um, we're always gonna market therapy, but yeah, like therapists are there to 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 sit with you. Um, and and yes, it's scary to relive or unprocess. And a lot of times I I have clients come in because um, my work, I, I love working with first time therapy seekers um, because I came from that. I had never, I've never done therapy until my very tail end of uh, the military. And then in grad school and with my daughter, I had postpartum. So I, I um, sought traditional therapy with that too. So, so I get it. It doesn't feel good, but therapy is not to make you happy forever. I always tell people in my students, when I work with them, that, um, my, my role is to help these feelings, these unmanageable feelings feel manageable, right? So when, when you do feel sad or when you do feel angry, or when you do get triggered, you know how to roll with it and work through it and sit with it. Um, I, as a therapist, never use distress. Dist and, and if you do, that's totally fine. So you'll learn that like therapists um, and counselors have their own style. But for me, I'm a very uh, mindfulness-based cognitive therapist like type of work. So I really like learning how to sit with feelings and being curious and not non-judgmental about your, what you're going through. So a therapist can help you do that um, because families, even even as me, me being a family member that is a therapist are not your therapist like I'm not a therapist for family because that's so unethical so you need that person to sit with you and help guide you and contain what you're going through so I, that's honestly like for me my my suggestion and recommendation is is finding someone that you fit with and jive with and vibe with there's so many of us out there now that you can find someone that looks like you or doesn't look like you and um, you can shop around for sure hundred percent therapy. Yes. I feel like I say hundred percent to now because we're in sync. <laughs> this is why we have a podcast. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so, yeah, I think therapy can help uncover and um, help just explore a lot, a lot of things. And with generational trauma, um, I think it can help maybe connect you, put you in touch with um, literally like your past generations. Um, and because I grew up um, away from my parents' hometown. Um, I didn't really, like I knew my grandparents, but I really wasn't really curious like beyond that, right? And it wasn't until I got older that I realized the impact of colonization and migration patterns and like everything that they went through that I got like really curious, right? And so in doing that, I, um, I had to kind of explore like what, what patterns um, are going on um, whether good or maybe not not so good, um, which ones I like, for example, and I want to shout out to Brown Girl Therapy on Instagram, because she's always posting like, what it yes. is to be the child of immigrants. Yes. <laughs> and recently, she published like a like a 30 item list. It's called as a child of immigrants, you may have developed people pleasing behaviors, because you were expected to one to three to 30. Right. And, um, and I related so much. And I think um, some of it, you just never stop learning. 
And with some of those items on the list, I felt so validated. I'm like, I didn't know I was doing that. Well, maybe I did and I ignored it. <laughs> Just how I know eating hot Cheetos once a, once a week is not good, right? <laughs> but I ignore it. <laughs> and so in doing that, it's like, wow, it's, it's not... It's not so much of a faulty thing, right? Quote unquote faulty thing, but it's something that as a woman of color, as women in my family, as a, women as a community, the things that we do, right? And for example, like Latinos, we're, we're known for deferring to authority. We, we just are because you respect your elders, you respect people in authority. And so when now, let's say now, you know, you're going to grad school and now you really got to speak up because your peers, they're, they speak up and they, they're, they're pretty bold, right? And to you, they're bold, right? But in reality, they're, it's just, or you might think they're assertive, but in reality, it's, it, that's the norm. Like, it's okay for you to have a voice. And <laughs> that you it's weren't a- allowed to, right? Like you were taught to not speak your mind because it could be seen disrespectful or um not allowed say yeah same for like for um in the asian culture at least in the cambodian culture we were taught to be complicit and huge i'm a recovering people pleaser i think i stopped being a people pleaser like (laughs) in the military because i was like you know what fuck this i'm done no more (laughs) um because i wasn't getting me anywhere like it was you know i was um because again boundaries so yeah setting boundaries was so important i still do that now and i still work on it and i um, but it's because we're not allowed, we were not allowed to set boundaries as a child and, and acknowledging those patterns of like, why do I feel self-destructive? Why? Um, and you, you're able to recognize internal things that have been internalized. Um, and it's because of society and, and, um, the history of your people and the history of your ancestors. And I think it, it creates a different narrative where it's not so shaming, um, so you can heal, right? So, um, yeah, I think that's a a beautiful point. And you said something very important. It wasn't getting me anywhere. When we are, um, what's the word when you're, um, I guess complicit or when you're facilitating like, um, certain things from the mainstream culture, like from white supremacy or any of those, um, it might serve you a purpose, but at the end of the day, you can't hide brown. You can't hide your accent. You can't hide your last name. And you can't hide your identity and who you are. And so at the end of the day, um, that might also be, for, you know, and people do it for survival. Some people do it because um, it can help them access avenues of privilege that maybe they didn't have, you know, I, I'm not sure. I'm just saying that people's reasonings are complex, just how we are. Um, and so when we're trying to, you know, kind of get a sense of where people are coming from is, is learning how that functions into their overall identity and how they also present. And so it's, it's not getting me anywhere because you can't hide who you are. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Mal, you used the word narrative a couple of times. I thought that was really cool. Um, And in the very beginning of what you said, you touched on not being a therapist for everyone, which I just want to say, yes, good good job. Uh, That's so tricky when you are just a natural, I'm an Enneagram type two, which is caregiver. So people will gravitate towards wanting you to be their personal therapist. Um, 
And then moving back towards um, what Brown Girl Therapy had posted, the 30, um, 30 ways that people pleasing might show up. Um, I love that you mentioned that, Nail, because it does take away that shame aspect of, oh, yes, I did this. And I always thought I was so bad for it, but there's a reason. So thank you. And I'll, I'll link to her Instagram um, in the show notes so that other people can follow. Um, and I want to make sure we touch on all the cool stuff that you do um, before the hour is up. So I'm going to switch gears just a little bit. Um, you both talk about military culture on your podcast. So I'd love to hear what you have to say about that. Yeah, so we, we are kind of still in the beginning stages of our podcast. So we're, we're getting our like true crime ghosts fix out there. But we, we have recorded some stuff that kind of that talks about our military experience. Um, so we have a great episode coming up soon that um, so I was enlisted. So I, I went in at 19, <laughs> pretty much failed out of college. And uh, so I went enlisted where Neo went in after grad school so she was already kind of established um a social worker so she so she's a commissioned officer so those two like basic training are completely different so we talk about like how much easier hers was <laughs> I'm just kidding <laughs> I love you <laughs> yes <laughs> yes <laughs> so but we so we just like we we're very fun and like kind of like um looking at the differences and similarities of what because I never went through officer training I didn't go back into the military after I um I graduated so so it's just nice to hear that and my husband was enlisted and then commissioned and that's actually how kind of how we met so they they were in the same cohort so it's interesting to hear that so that's kind of what and we always kind of weave the military mental health piece too of always trying to end the stigma of mental health and really encouraging preventive mental health care right like to not go at the end when things have hit the fan and like you're in a crisis mode it's all prevent prevention um and that it's okay like nothing sustainable because we know so many so many so many military veterans that come out physically broken on top of mentally broken it's because you're taught to push through every single thing and that's not sustainable and it doesn't mean that you're so much stronger like you're still human so so we try to really bring that into our podcast in a non like woo woo like <laughs> annoying way um because we also want to be a voice for that population too of like we we went through it also and we hear you and um we want to we want to be there for you Very complex uh, topic, but yeah, it's definitely a, a big part of our lives. And so um, I think um, my partner was always also, pre he's a veteran as well. And so um, so that was my introduction to, to that culture. And then I, I came in and it was like a, a whole new world, like complete culture shock. <laughs> um, and luckily, you know, I met uh, folks that are people like Mal and, and now we do it's going to be two years and you know, time flies. And so I uh, just, uh, I can't stress enough how important it was to, uh, um, and how unique it was to have a connection with somebody that, you know, I can relate to a lot to. And so um, I, I want to say that throughout this whole experience, like women of color have always been, you know, uh, I've, I've always been so grateful to have them in my life throughout this experience. Cause it's, it's just a sense of community. that I, I think it's kind of hard to come by. Mm, thank you so much for sharing. Um, 
And thank you for the work that you're doing around the mental health stigma in the military. I think that is so important. I don't know as much as you both obviously do about the military and the culture, um, but I do know that there is that stigma surrounding mental health. So I'm so appreciative, as I'm sure are so many people that you're doing that work. Um, so I'm gonna shift back gears again. Uh, I would love to hear about your interest in true crime and forensic psychology. Um, yeah, I think for me, I've always, I was watching Law and Order SVU way too early in my life, like, probably, I think I looked at the timeline, I was watching it, like, maybe four years after it came out, so it was like, I, I watched it in the beginning, um, yeah. obsessed, yeah, like, Dr. Uh, Dr. Wong was, like, my hero, like, I actually wanted to be a forensic psychologist, for the longest time because I wanted to be him. Um, so that was really my truth. And then my mom grew up, I grew up watching Unsolved Mysteries, um, America's Most Wanted. And I know those are like rebooted now, which I'm like super excited. So what, what led me to the psychology part was I just didn't understand why people would do the things that they did, you know, why, what led them. And I think a piece of me also knew that there was a nurture part to it where there was something that led them to break. Like I always wanted to know the breaking point because then I didn't want to be the person at that end of their breaking point. So I was like, all right, we're cool. Um, so yeah, so, it, and it just never stopped at all. <laughs> and then I found Nao. And then we started talking about like black eyed children and <laughs> Roswell. And like, yeah, aliens at one night and you know, these, uh, wild cases that are highly publicized like for example like Casey Anthony and Jodi Arias and um and, and we listen to all these other podcasts that also talk about uh maybe cases that um we haven't heard of yet and and so I think I think in that first episode I talk about how like watching cheaters might have been like a do you guys remember that show yeah <laughs> where it's like this uh these investigators that help uh, a partner like kind of I guess do an investigation and find, either, find out if they're cheating or not and they confront them with like a camera crew well the host of that show ended up getting stabbed by one of those people I think <laughs> so uh, I hope he's okay um, and, and I think you know just my background telenovela soap operas some of the plots are pretty wild and I think that pretty much graduated into like this happens in real life like <laughs> there are people with some elaborate stories that, uh, you know, they want life insurance or like mom was said from one minute to the next, they acted on, on I guess, you know, for whatever impulse or maybe not impulse. And uh, we just got real interested. And um, in some of our episodes, we're luckily we're able to find some of the forensic reports that are presented in court. And from there, we kind of delve a little bit into like the DSM-5 to the diagnosis, which is important, but it's kind of like 50-50, helps us understand a little bit um but you know contextually like the stories um all of that just really interests us and it interests me a, a lot so um definitely having a discussion about this we're just pretty much perplexed we're like hold on I need a minute to process that <laughs> yeah for sure and I think that was a good point um yeah I, I found that there's so many mer like true crime podcasts um I'm starting to see a few that are hosted by therapists and, and um, psychologists. So I think what was missing for us was that they didn't talk about the diagnoses um, or the mental health piece of like, they like, oh, that's their childhood, but then they're, you know, they did this crappy thing. So 
I needed to process. I was like, what diagnosis is this person? Um, so we do it, you know, n- not for formally, but we do go through the, the DSM five, um, and say like, oh, okay, well, this person sounds like this personality disorder. Maybe they did meet that criteria. Um, could it be preventable? So yeah. So we just kind of put our little, um, twist on it. Ooh, I love it. And I also love hate SVU because it makes me anxious and I like it. <laughs> I'm always like, I yes. probably shouldn't listen. <laughs> I love it. Um, did you both watch Tiger King by chance? Yeah, I just rewatched it for like the one year anniversary and it's still wild. I love it. I highly recommend 10 out of 10. Watch it again. <laughs> I know. So crazy. Yes, um, I, I did not want to buy into the hype. I was like, yeah, okay, whatever. All right, let's see what this is about. And this is when like COVID hit, right? So next thing you know, I'm like four episodes deep and I'm like, what is going, what in tarnation? Like, <laughs> what is going on here? I know, I don't know why you said true crime and I was like oh oh because uh Carol Baskin <laughs> it was fun to come up yep. with my own conclusions <laughs> yeah. um and you mentioned Roswell which I thought was cool because I'm from New Mexico so I'm I'm very familiar with Roswell <laughs> I lived in Albuquerque for two and a half years I was stationed at Kirtland I'm in Albuquerque New Mexico you said that's where you are now yes yes oh my god Oh, I miss it. My husband, my, uh, my partner lived on Route 66 past Knob Hill in, in between downtown. Um, his neighbor got shot there, so <laughs> we moved. <laughs> but oh my God, I miss Albuquerque. Oh. I know it's nice, but you're right. People get shot a lot. So that was a very, yeah. <laughs> um, anyways, I want to talk about this. Anyways, um, Oh, I want to talk about the paranormal stuff that you discussed too. Um, I think, well, first of all, let me just say it's so cool that you tie in all these very eclectic topics to make this one great podcast that is so accessible and just amazing. But yes, I want to hear more about the paranormal stuff that you talk about. Thank you. Yeah. So another identity that we have that kind of felt like weird or like not talked about, or I, I, I felt like in a way, like, I shouldn't talk about being a therapist and very science-based and evidence-based. It's like, I believe in ghosts. Like, I am scared. So talking to Nao, like, because that's such a piece of our ancestors and our cultural um, background is like, how do we, how do we work through these conflicting or like seemingly conflicting ideology, right? And it's like, you don't have to pick one or the other. So we always really enjoy talking about and hearing these ghost stories um, in a safe space rather than being judged because there's so many people that are being judged. Like even like the biggest skeptics are like, I have a story. And I love those like skeptic experiences because it's, they're not making it up. Like it is an experience and they don't want it to be experienced. So we have, we, we have that space in our podcast to talk about because we, (laughs) there, um, our 10th episode was about El Cucuy and El Coco, which is the um, boogeyman so he he represents like the Mexican boogeyman our um, Dominican friend she heard about him too growing up so he's essentially like if you don't clean your room you don't do this he's gonna come scratch your feet so um 
so it's like, and you know that your clients will come in with stories like that too, right? So you, so I think for us, it's another piece of cultural humility where we have to acknowledge that the paranormal and the ghost stories will be part of their lives. And if we just looked at it at a, in a pathological way, um, we're not doing them any, any justice. We, we cannot automatically think, oh, schizophrenia or psychosis, um, which will happen a lot, right? Like you have these very um, science-based pathological clinicians that will automatically just hear the symptoms and, and, and treat them that way rather than acknowledging what has happened and what does that mean to them? It could be grief, it could be a flashback, it could be anxiety. So we really try to tie that in and, and spread the awareness um, in a fun way. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Um, it's been interesting talking about all these topics and also kind of sharing like our personal stories of how in our culture, certain things are used to either discipline us or things that have happened to ourselves or our, our family. Um, so I'm from um, El Paso and there's one episode uh, that hasn't come out yet, but we talked about my haunted high school. <laughs> it's El Paso High. Google it up. Uh, also known as uh, Lady on the Hill or La High. And, um, you know, we talk about a lot of stories that, that, um, that come from the high school, but, you know, also uh, in our communities, like Ma was saying, like, if you're not really aware of some urban tales or uh, people's uh, communities or culture, this might sound like somebody that might have psychosis, right? <laughs> but in reality, it's just the actual stories that are passed on by generations. And there's a lot of value in it because that can teach you like, all right, this person might've, you know, uh, believes in this so let's incorporate that do we need candles do we need to refer to uh <laughs> to you know we call them la curandera someone that can do like the limpias which is the the cleansing you know because it's to me that holds a lot of value and it's part of it's part of my upbringing so uh you know uh, I love talking about it. Sometimes uh, me and Mal and our big are in a big time difference. So, you know, she gets the daylight when we talk about this. So it's not fair because <laughs> then I'm here at night. <laughs> also in a very remote location. And the next thing you know, I'm thinking like, are they going to knock on my door just because I talked about them? <laughs> That's so funny that, yeah, I know it's always easier to talk about paranormal things in the daylight. <laughs> That's funny. Um, have either of you read Women Who Run With Wolves? No. It's really, yeah, yeah. And Nao, you haven't either, right? Okay, I thought you shake your head. Um, yeah, it's really good. Every chapter is a new um, myth or folklore from different cultures. Um, and she takes apart the stories. I don't remember the author's name, but I'll make sure to mention it in the show notes so that she gets ample credit. Yes. But um, yeah, she's really cool. And she talks about like how to dissect those stories and what they mean for everyone as a whole and what they mean for that culture. So I really recommend that book. And I think it just reminds me a lot of, of the work that you're doing is um, doing that cultural humility and, and incorporating the paranormal realm as um a part of the spirituality realm because i really feel like that's that's really tied in together yeah that's a great point thank you for bringing that up because i think for me is um 
I have to, we have to acknowledge that like, because they see a ghost doesn't mean that it's a negative experience. It could be like for, for myself in the Cambodian culture, we do um, honorings for the dead or for our our ancestors, right? So we put plates out and, um, and food and candles and a shrine. So seeing, you know, a past ancestor may be normal to me, um, but in my other clients, but you know, if you, if you see someone that's not um, familiar with that, that honoring or that cultural practice, it could sound really out there. Um, so that's a great, I'm glad you brought that because yeah, like, like sightings or experiences are not always freaky or scary. It's really based on that person's experience. So, and, and, and their spiritual practice. So cool. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for touching on the fact that it's not always psychosis. Um, I worked in a really clinical psychology uh, realm for a little while doing research. Um, And that was like the go-to is if like someone's hearing ancestors speaking to them, they have psychosis or it's a form of psychosis. And I really didn't like how limiting and not culturally appropriate that was or spiritually appropriate because that's something that some people just go through and maybe sometimes it's psychosis maybe it's not but to automate I mean any any time that you're automatically putting a label or diagnosis on someone you're not doing them a service or getting to know who they really are so thank you for that um I will we have spent over an hour so thank you so much both of you for hanging in there I'll ask you the four questions that I ask everyone else and then we can wrap this up um I could probably talk to you forever though (laughs) so yes amazing (laughs) we'll have to have you on our podcast this has been lovely oh I would love that thank you yeah I would love that um okay so the first question I'll ask both of you is what would you tell your younger selves knowing all that you know now Um, For me, that you are a badass and that (laughs) um, your worth is not based on your productivity and what you give to the world. You are enough and you're valuable um, and whatever you do for the world is a bonus for them, but it doesn't make you a better person Um, because a lot of stuff that I worked on as a child was like, I have to do this and I have to please this person to make myself feel better. So for me, definitely you are enough is this mantra I still tell myself. <laughs> um, let's see, what would older Nao tell little Nao? <laughs> um, I, would, I would tell her to there's no timeline for things um you know I did school like in six years and then afterwards I went into the the um straight to work and I didn't know that that did not have to be rushed like (laughs) luckily you know I was in that position where I I could make that realization but there was just so much learning um I would tell her that perfection is not everything what's most important is just to get it done and so um also that your worth is not based off productivity and um who you are is um is the very exact same thing that sometimes um can help other people feel people feel connected to you as a whole and so yeah i think i would just tell her like it's okay 
It's on your timing, not on anybody else's. Oh, thank you. Thank you to both of you. I love hearing people answer that question. It always just gives me chills and I just love it. So thank you so much. Um, the next question is, what do you hope to learn from your future self? I hope to learn that um, the people are good, that, that there's hope <laughs> in humanity and that nothing is permanent um, and that there's always something that comes out of something else. So not to invalidate like, oh, everything happened to a reason, but um, that there's always, there's always good that comes out of, of difficulties and struggles and that it'll be okay. Um, I guess one thing that has been helpful for me is just reframing things as a learning experience. Like you don't have to know everything because that's impossible. And the people that do seem to know everything probably because they're a couple years older than you, like 30, 40 years I'm talking about. <laughs> so, so, you and know, they're faking it. No, <laughs> and so, you know, they're doing what you're doing, which is just your best. And everybody, for the most part, is, is kind of just working off their best self. So, uh, you know, this, if you see it as I'm learning, Today I learned this, today I learned that. Today I might have not done it the way it was supposed to. Um, every single experience is unique. And so not one situation is the same as the previous one. So give yourself some grace, some empathy, because if you would do it for your friends, your family, the people you love most, you deserve it as well. Thank you. Uh, the next one is how do you connect with your highest self or your higher self? I really rely on my environment to connect with my higher self, um, to be at the ground. I'm really privileged and I live literally on the beach. So just looking out and visualizing um, the beach. And also my, I have two kiddos. I have a five-year-old and almost two-year-old. So just channeling that innocence and that their inner, my inner child and just allowing to play um, really allows me to to channel my higher self where I don't have to think about what am I going to be when I grow up and what am, how am I going to change the world or you know just just being in that present moment um, really helps me connect. Um, let's see higher self I will say though it's a lot of work to get to your higher self. <laughs> There's some days that I'm really salty. <laughs> and oh, it's yeah, so much for sure. <laughs> and I'm just petty and I'm like, what are we, you know? <laughs> yes. So there's a lot of uh, uh there's a lot of meaningful work in doing that and finding that about yourself. Like what does what does your higher self mean and uh um how do we get there? So for me, it was a bunch of, you know, first of all, I had to learn what higher self meant, like what the concept was, because I didn't even know what that was till I saw it on Instagram. And I was like, oh, that sounds cool. <laughs> and then I started to see how some people would post like their personal narratives. And when I saw them starting to do that, I was like, man, I, that's, that's pretty impactful because you don't know that people are doing that behind the scenes. Like Miles says, sometimes it just seems like people fake it till they make it. But sometimes people work work it till they face it, you know? 
And so uh, I know copyright. No, just kidding. <laughs> she, oh, she has For all real? those gems. Yeah, she's good. <laughs> and so um, to get to my higher self, it's been a combination of things. Having a community, um, exploring myself, like what am, what am I doing when I'm being salty? What are my own patterns that I have to call myself for? How do I want to respond when I'm being called out? And uh, man, sometimes Mao does tarot card readings. That also helps me get in touch with my higher self. By the way, I'm sorry, mom, she, she, she's Catholic. So <laughs> we're not supposed to be doing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm not Catholic, so it's fine. <laughs> but you know, separate things like that. Like even one of our episodes talks about uh, um, the zodiac signs. Like I'm an Aquarius, that's also part of it. So there is no like guide or perfect black and white way to get there. Uh, you just gotta find out what it is for yourself. I love those answers. Thank you so much. Um, I love that little apology to your mom. <laughs> um, um, and the last question is, what does empowered spirituality mean to you? After meeting the community that that really feeds my soul, um, Nao, you know, is really on top of that list. And then Samantha, I appreciate this this platform and these these communicate, you know, these conversations. I think doing it, doing what's best for me, and not giving a, a care about what other people think. You know, um, I don't need to have other people approve of what I need to do to feed my soul. Um, and and finding the people that that will encourage and support that has really been amazing um and i think that empowerment that i i have to feel empowered to help support other people being empowered right so just taking away the guilt and the shame and the colonization and the imperialism that's been put on to what we as a community has been doing for for thousands of years and just recognizing what's right for for me and then i'm sorry can you repeat the question i was kind of still processing what I was <laughs> that's okay um what does empowered spirituality mean to you I think for me, it's a combination of things. It's learning like how I was raised Catholic, but also the journey it took to get to where I'm at, where I'm at peace with having a faith and being spiritual. It means um, all of the generations that I know precede me and still being in touch with them in one way and choosing that connection. Um, and also maybe choosing healing. Uh, and, um, and in doing that kind of work, also getting a sense of understanding of when people come into coming through the doors, when they're looking for that, also for that journey, um, the amount of resources, um, I'm not just talking about like tangible things, but the internal resources it takes to um, explore what, what they what they want out of it. So empowerment of spirituality is, uh, um, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful, that's, I like that, it's beautiful words. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I will say you both are just so radiant and magnetic. 
Um, like I can't stop smiling as I watch your beautiful faces and hear your like twinkling laughs. So it was it was really an honor to just get to learn from you and sit with you and look at you. <laughs> so thank you so much for spending this time and for educating so many people and being so vulnerable. Um, is there anything that you'd like to add before we go? Um, no, but thank you again for the space and um it really opened up a lot for us because we, you know, sometimes get so stuck in, in our, our realm. So it's, it's such a lovely piece. And, I, and I'm so glad that again, we were able to have this podcast. Nao and I are like five people listen. Amazing. Like at least we can have <laughs> a platform and they'll be out there um, because we were so inspired by so many people on, on Instagram. And I think that, and that's why we're millennial therapists because the therapists before us would be like, I would never, <laughs> you know, like that's like the last thing that they would ever do is put themselves out there and be vulnerable and be like, Hey, I'm a human, you know, come, you know, come talk to me. Like I, we get it. Um, so that being said, check us out at millennial therapist podcast with Mao and Neo. We're on Apple, Spotify, Google, and, and other platforms. And we're also on Instagram at MT podcast with Mao Neo. Um, and yeah, and we would love to hear from you all and, and just build this community and hear feedback and just be part of this journey. Awesome. Thank Yay. you for having us and thank you for. Awesome. Great. Thank you so much. Um, and there will be a link to your Instagram and to your um, podcast in the show notes. And I'll make sure to share. I, I think I still do try and share things that you post, but I'll make sure and keep sharing things that you post for people to know more about you. Um, thank you so much. Um, it was so great to have you on. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much to Mao and Nail, and thank you for listening to this great episode with the hosts of the Millennial Therapist Podcast. Make sure to check out their podcast. I mean, you heard them. They talk about everything from paranormal to spiritual to mental health to military to cultural competency and humility. Oh, they're just amazing. They're two amazing women. So checking out their podcast will just be more amazing content um you can check out their instagram like they said at mt podcast with m-a-o-n-a-o and i will link to everything down below of course um thank you so much if you liked this episode please give it a rating and a review wherever you do listen to your podcast that helps my lovely guests know that you appreciate their work and their emotional labor and also helps more people find this podcast and find this education and community really um feel free to join the empowered spirituality community the link is in the bio follow me on instagram at empowered.spirituality Visit my website, empoweredspirituality.online, to book a coaching session with me or view one of my free or low-cost options. And lastly, feel free to join the weekly meditation circle. The link to join is below, and we meet every Sunday to journal and meditate in community and have that beautiful support. Thank you so much for listening. Namaste. challenging to find a community of supportive people to share in our spiritual journeys with. We all need support and love no matter where we are on our personal journeys. 
So I am excited to announce that I have created the space for just that. In the Empowered Spirituality community, you will receive a weekly video lesson, weekly journaling prompts, access to an additional guided meditation every week, monthly group meetings and teachings via Zoom, and access to a loving and supportive online community. Additionally, all members will receive 20% off of all of their coaching sessions. You can follow the link in the show notes for this community offer or visit patreon.com slash empowered spirituality.